When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, let's get back to the phone lines. It's Jerry, Cosette, Nancy, and I'll get a name on that fourth line in just a second. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. Good morning, sir. So yesterday morning, it was kind of cool and drizzly, you know, <laughs> and I'm going down 1604. Uh, we're in San Antonio this weekend, but then I'm going down 1604, and I passed Stone and Soul Depot, kind of slow, and uh, they have a pile of, I don't know if it's compost or mulch, right by the front gate there. Okay. And it was steaming and smoking like, like an old locomotive. It was compost. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I hadn't seen, I don't know that I'd ever seen that. It, well, it was so much smoke coming out of there, I thought, ooh, I'd be kind of hot to put on some of my stuff. Well, and you're probably uh, exactly right. Uh, compost, as it as it breaks down, it produces a lot of heat. And, of course, you want moisture in your compost, and that's why you're seeing all the, all the steam come off of it. Now, you bring up an interesting point because the pros, this is never going to happen in a home compost pile. But if the pros aren't careful, if they make the highs too big, the piles too big, they uh, actually do self-ignite and burn. But what you were looking at is is just, uh, uh, compost. I, I think it's very good to use as a mulch on bare soil. I think it's fine at that stage to work into the ground, but it's a little hot to be put on your grass and it's a little bit hot to actually think about planting plants in, but mixed in with your soil, you know, it's just, it's just fine. And, um, it will break down. It will decrease in volume, uh, as the compost, so to speak, manure matures as it gets through that breakdown process. But yeah, it's interesting on a chilly morning, any, any big compost yard, you're going to see a lot of steam coming off of it. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. So we live in Port Aransas. My okay. wife's amaryllis just finished blooming. Uh-huh. Uh, it's got all the seed pods on it. One of them already turned brown and opened up and I collected the seeds. They look like they're somebody wrapped them in paper, you know, right. Uh, how and when do I plant those, and will they grow? They will grow. Um, easy to plant. They're you know a little smaller than a little bitty, a smaller jelly bean, but uh, they'll be virtually a hundred percent viable. I would start them in small individual pots, maybe four inch pots, and uh, I think you've got a good nursery in Port Aransas, not in Port Aransas, but in Aransas Pass over there, but. Um, uh, just or over in Corpus, either way, just they'll probably give you a bunch of empty four-inch pots. I'd just fill them with potting soil. I'd plant that seed about half an inch deep, keep it warm, keep it moist, and it will grow up and make uh, a new amaryllis plant for you. And over about three years' time, that bulb will get bigger and bigger. After probably a year, you'll take it out of that four-inch pot and plant it into a six-inch pot or a gallon can. And it's going to be about three years from the time you plant the seed until you see the first flowers. But it's always fun to do because you never know what you're going to get. Many of the seeds will come back and look very much like the parent plant did. But every now and then you'll get a red plant that produces white and pink seedlings or you know, you can get just almost any color of the rainbow, sometimes even two tones, sometimes even double flowers. So fun thing to do, but it requires a little bit of patience. 
Well, that's interesting. Just one one seed to a little pot. Yes, sir. Because you see what a big bulb they make. You see these. Oh, yeah. It's pure. They're properly called hippie astrum. They're one one type of amaryllis. But I've seen bulbs as big as a softball. So yeah, you don't want to be putting more than one seed in there, or they'll crowd each other too badly. Well, do I need to try to the this one's not in a very well. It's a twelve inch pot, maybe. Right. You know, it's got a lot of stems. Do I need to do anything with those flowers? Spikes? Do I need to take them out or leave them? No, it doesn't make any or difference at all. I try to um, separate the ones that are there, or are they all coming from one bulb? Oh, no, it's one. It makes many little bulbs and offshoots. My business partner has one probably in a 10-inch pot, and I think she had 12 or 14 spikes of flowers at one time on it. And it'll always be most spectacular if you leave it as one big clump. If you want to break it up into individual bulbs, you can certainly do that, but it's going to reduce the number of flowers. It's going to reduce the uh, number of bloom spikes you get. So it's totally up to you. If you want to have 15 plants instead of one, plant um at the end of the growing season for now after they finish flowering you want to keep them fertilized you want to keep them growing you want to have as much healthy foliage on them as possible while that bulb rebuilds itself but late summer early fall when the leaves start to die back at that point if you want to divide it into 10 12 20 however many little bulbs there are you can but i you know unless you just want a whole bunch of plants i think they're most spectacular if you just leave them let them grow as one big clump no, I'd say if it wants to divide itself, I'm fine with it. If I don't have to do it, I'm good. Thank yeah. you very much. It's have always a, a pleasure. You do the same, Jerry. And uh, here they're catching some pretty good fish even offshore now, so take advantage of that wonderful place you live down there. It's really good. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> ah, very good. Uh, oh, gosh, you know, it's uh, I have a lot, a lot of fond memories fishing with Jay Watkins and some of the great guys down in that part of the world. So, uh you guys keep up the good work, and uh, as, as the sign that my grandfather and I saw in a bait shop once said, the gods do not deduct from the allotted span of men's lives those hours spent fishing. So, you know, get out and <laughs> extend your lifespan. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. It's good to hear from you. You bet. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Uh, next up is uh, Cosette. Good morning, Cosette. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a tomato update for you. I, I'm sorry? I have a tomato update for Oh, okay. You. Very good. Very good. Okay. So, I don't know. I think I jinxed it because, like I had said, my Juliet tomatoes were absolutely fabulous. In fact, I was taking so many pictures of them. A couple of my coworkers asked, um, I've had pictures of my kids, and I said, well, <laughs> would you rather see my tomatoes? <laughs> Well, there there are some people who would tell you you had your priorities in others and in line, and others would disagree completely. But with me, you're just fine. Thanks. Oh, and to your previous caller, because I'm right across the ferry in Aransas Pass. Yeah. Um, we actually don't have a nursery over here, but there is um, bloomers okay. in Rockport. Okay. And I just discovered they can order stuff for you if if you can't get it if they don't have it on hand. Well, thanks for sharing that. that. Yeah, because I had gone to Lowe's, and luckily they did have Super Thrive. Very so good. I've been spraying my tomatoes in the morning, and um, the strange thing is um, I had watered them because the soil seemed pretty dry, and instantly they were droopy again, yellow again. So I thought, okay, I should just back off. And then we got a lot, a lot of rain and some storms uh, Friday night, and then we had some rain uh, Saturday. Mm-hmm. 
But oddly enough, after it rained, they really perked up. Yep. And that doesn't surprise me. What I think is happening, um, first of all, they're drooping a little bit just from, you know, having had a couple of warm, sunny days. Secondly, those roots are fairly deep down and the rains, and I understand y'all really got lots of rain, really saturated that soil thoroughly. It's hard sometimes to really get the entire root system wet. It seems like it's wet, but what we've really done is watered the upper two or three inches of the soil well. But when so many of the roots are down six to ten inches, then uh, the plants still get a little bit droopy. But Mother Nature shows us what a real thorough soaking looks like, and the plants just yeah. pop right back up. Okay, well, also, I had called Wendy at Shades of Green yesterday because I had noticed a couple of my tomatoes that were probably uh, maybe three quarter, half an inch to three quarters of an inch long. Okay. Um, the bottom parts were dark. Yep. So I plucked those off, and she said blossom end rot. It's called blossom end rot. It's not a disease. It's not anything that is catchable or spreadable or anything else. Blossom end rot Uh, As she probably told you, results from an imbalance of uh, calcium and magnesium in the soil. The way that you correct it is with Epsom salts. Um, If your plants are up and growing, put two tablespoons of Epsom salts in a gallon of water and just water it in good. When I plant my tomatoes, I just sprinkle a big handful of Epsom salts on the soil uh, around it. I don't put it in the hole because we're trying to change the soil chemistry of the all the soil in the area, not just that one little tiny spot. And um, once they have that brown or that it, it kind of shrivels and gets blackish on the bottom of the fruit, uh, that fruit's not going to change. Uh, now, the good news is you can slice that bottom off and the top of the tomato is still perfect. But if you will uh, get some Epsom salts at the drugstore or wherever, and um, in the future, sprinkle a little around when you first plant those plants. Now that they're up and growing, do that with, uh, like, say, about a tablespoon to a gallon of water. You'll stop that problem totally. Okay, yeah, I did do that when I first planted it. And also, I'm not sure if I put enough soil in the pot. It's like Mm -hmm. uh, 20 to 24 inches. I'm really bad with numbers. Um, That's why I'm in human services. (laughs) I don't want you for an accountant. I'll I'll take you as an HR person. But uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's really not critical how much soil people grow tomato plants hydroponically i've seen them growing where they basically were just getting drenched with water on an ongoing basis so the only problem is that the less soil you have the more they dry out the more often they have to be watered and that can get to be an issue in the middle of the summer the other thing is if you keep them too wet especially in the hot weather the skin splits uh you water them that tomato tries to swell up it's got a a little bit tougher skin on the outside and it splits and then the tomato doesn't keep it all so um if you've got a you know (laughs) a a pot as big as a trash can that way we don't have to get into numbers um if you've got a pot the size of a trash can you've got all the pots you would ever need and all the soil you would ever need uh other than that it's just a matter of watching carefully and be sure you don't let them dry out Okay. And also, um, before I knew about bloomers, um, being able to order like spinosad soap for me, uh-huh. um, I had no choice but to go Lowe's. And the only thing I could find is I found something in a, in a spray bottle uh, ready to use. It was It's called Garden Safe. And it said for the organic gardener. And 
so then I thought, and it said insecticidal soap. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, I used that. And then when I found my reading glasses, I turned it around to look to see if there was spinosad soap in it. But what I found was it said, um, do not inhale, do not get on skin. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound very organic to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you know what the uh, acronym CYA stands for, and that's yeah. cover you know what. And that's what oh. so many of these these big companies they they put a lot more warnings and things on there than they need to. Uh, soap, insecticidal soap, uh, will will control a number of different insects. It will control white fly. It will control aphids, uh, other insects like stink bugs. It does absolutely nothing against. But uh, insecticidal soap is about as safe a product you can find. It's not going to hurt you unless you have extremely sensitive skin. But it's for that one person in 10,000 that has extremely sensitive skin. It's like you go into Starbucks and it says such and such might have walnuts in it. And that's to protect that one in 10,000 person who didn't recognize a walnut and had an allergic reaction to it. And I don't mean to make light of that because some of these allergic or some of these reactions can be very serious. But you bought a very safe product. And if you follow the instructions on it, you have no problem with it whatsoever. And it's not going to hurt your pets. It's not going to not going to bother you. OK. And do I have a time for one more quick question? Go right ahead. Okay, so um, we're in mosquito season over here, especially after a good rain. So I actually found when I bought the insecticidal soap at Lowe's, cactus juice. Mm-hmm. It says plant food for cacti and succulents. No. But then that's... on the back, warning, this product contains chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer and burst effects. Yeah, stay away from that. That's not the cactus juice we use as a mosquito repellent. Um, oh, where would I get that? Um you're going to have to find some of the outdoor shops carry it. Uh, the people that make it are up in Seymour, Texas, up in the Panhandle, where they've got lots of cactus. And they are they are retooling their plants, so to speak. Um, so it's temporarily, if, if people don't already have it, it's going to be a few weeks before it's available again. Some of us had a pretty good stock of it. Uh, at the time, come up to San Antonio, call first, but we've probably got it on the shelf in about uh, four to six weeks. It should be available to any sporting goods store or any place that wants to order a few cases of it. And I don't know if they actually sell online or not, but I, I can tell you right now they're retooling. We're using, uh, if we run out of cactus juice, uh, and, and different insect repellents react with your own body chemistry. And some things work for some people and, and not for others. Cactus juice works well for me, but I've had a couple of people said it just didn't do the job. One of our managers uses lavender, and her body reacts with the lavender, and she needs nothing more to totally keep the mosquitoes away. And yet if I put lavender on my skin... Uh, the mosquitoes just think it's an attractant. So um, there's no one perfect product, but there is another good non-deet uh, mosquito repellent out there called Murphy's Naturals. I think it's a lemon oil eucalyptus mix, and I like that real well. Uh, there's another one called No Mosquitoes with a Z. 
Um, that one is another one that is totally natural. I think that one might have some androba in it, and a lot of people like that. So cactus juice mosquito, actually they call it cactus juice skin care or something like that, because once again, the government just jumps all over them if they, you know, if they make any, <laughs> if they put too much on the label without paying the government off, uh, you know, to prove that all that stuff's in there. So, um, I think they call it sun and skin or something like that. But anyway, there's some other good non-deep repellents out there. But what you're looking at is obviously some sort of chemical product that some company's producing, some sort of synthetic product that they're producing for cacti and succulents, and it's not the same stuff. Okay. I did notice on the uh, garlic oil that you had um, told someone before to get, like, for the roses for black mm-hmm. spots. Yeah. When I ordered it, it actually says that it repels mosquitoes. Oh, yeah. So we had a cookout, and I just kind of sprayed the perimeter, mm-hmm. and it worked for quite a while. Actually. Oh, yeah. I was really surprised. They also sell garlic oil. In fact, one of the ones we carry is actually called Mosquito Barrier. And um, it makes everybody thinking you're cooking Italian, but uh, it really does yeah. work to run the mosquitoes <laughs> off. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because that, I'm going to let you go because I do have some other people waiting. And uh, so have a happy Mother's Bob. Day. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Can be Nancy, Don, and Teresa. One line open. Grab it if you'd like. I say good morning, Nancy. Hi. Um, Bob, I have those thistles. They're the, the star thistles, do you okay. know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, Malta star thistle, yep. Yeah, and I have those out in my horse's pasture. They're, some of them are at least even maybe almost two feet tall, mm-hmm. and they're getting thicker and thicker. What can I do about that? Um, What I do with them, um, it, is it covering a big area, covering a small area? Do you have uh, 100 of them or 10,000 of them? I probably have 10,000 of them. Yeah. Uh, and and believe me, they're much brighter minds than mine trying to work on that problem. I find that they, um, I control them, I pull them where I can, and I shred them off uh, where, you know, where I can't, can't pull them. I try to do it early enough in the seed. The damn little plant actually makes its first seeds, like, right at ground level. So... There's no way that you're going to totally eliminate them. Uh, once again, I think sometimes the best defense is a good offense. Keep your keep your animals rotated around the pasture so that you get your grass thickened up. Uh, if you can, fertilize in those areas. Coastal Bermuda will choke them out, as will most native grasses. But there is no safe spray that anyone has found that uh, will kill that particular thistle without doing damage to things around it. Now, I know I have friends that have goats that say they eat them, you know, thorns and all, and um, they have pretty much eliminated, you know, from um, my, my couple of friends down the road that have goats seem to have no problems at all in their fields with them. But horses and cattle... Um, they, they're one of the major problems that face us up in the hill country. And, um, I, I wish there was an easy answer. I know it's not in the chemical sprays cause they don't work any better than the natural stuff, but there's just, there's just nothing that will kill those blasted things without doing some damage to the grass as well. You know, they just keep getting thicker and thicker, it seems. And I've got them up and down my driveway too, where my horse doesn't even, I mean, he's not even over there, but just everywhere. And I look over the fence, and my neighbors don't have them. 
Well, um, do your neighbors run livestock of any sort? No. It's, it's once they get started, they just make, you know, so much seed. And even though it's hard to see, uh, your neighbors may have a little bit thicker natural vegetation. The, the Maltstar thistle does not compete well with native grasses and things like that. And it may be, and, and you have horses is what you have? I have just one, yeah. Yeah, if there's any way that you can try rotating um, and you don't, you don't build fences, you put up a little bit of electric fence, but even if you just have a few acres, if you can divide it into say four paddocks and kind of rotate the horse around so that, uh, he or she doesn't keep it eaten down so low, um, that goes a long way toward getting your native grasses up and growing better and goes a long way toward choking out the thistles. Horses eat three times as much as a cow, and it's amazing. If you just leave them on, say, three acres, they'll keep that area browsed down to almost nothing. When you start rotating them around, leaving them a week in one paddock, the next week move them to the next, and just move them around, you'd be amazed at how much better grass you'll have. Uh, my friend Rich Barkley, uh, several years ago on his four or five acres, uh, and with two horses, they started rotating them around, and they said, my God, we've never had such beautiful grass. So uh, get in touch with Acres USA or get one of their books on rotational grazing. I think you're going to find that you, with a horse, you'll end up with a lot better grass and a lot fewer thistles, but it's unfortunately not anything that's going to clear up overnight. Wish there were an easy answer, but I just don't, I, I don't know what if there is. Okay, so shredding and mowing, I should stay away from that? No, you should shred um, You should shred uh, any time they start getting up taller. Uh, any time you can shred the top of them um, off without uh, affecting uh, the hay there, the grass that your horse is going to eat, uh, that is a good thing to do. But um, if you can find a way to do a little rotational grazing, you're going to do everything's going to do better and you're going to have fewer thistle problems. Should I throw a little grass seed out? If you want to put out some native grass seed, especially now while it's so moist, that'd be a great idea. Call Dean over at Douglas King Seed, and they've got some real good native mixes that uh, are not very expensive and are very, very effective. Okay. All righty. Okay. Well, thanks for the advice. I appreciate it very much. It's always a pleasure, Nancy. Happy Mother's Day to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Let's get back to these phone lines. Uh, we're going to talk to Don and Teresa and Brad and Gina. And Don's up first. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. This is Don down in the vine. Yes, sir. Got a question for you on spinosad. Can I mix spinosad with has to grow for foliage feeding to control the worms on my tomatoes? Um, I don't know why you couldn't, but I'll tell you honestly, tomato plants are one place that I think BT will do a better job for you than spinosad because spinosad has to hit the worm to kill it. Whereas BT, if you is a stomach poison, you spray it on your foliage and, um, you know, it can stay on for weeks or months. I always had a little bit of molasses when I use BT and I frequently only have to spray my tomatoes once a season, and I don't ever have tomato worms. Now, you don't need to spray BT all over the place because it kills all caterpillars, but um, I, you could mix spinosad with your has to grow, but I, I don't think that's the most effective way to get your tomato worms. Okay, because I've only, out of 500 tomato plants, I've only pulled maybe, I don't know, 
eight to ten worms already. I guess it's early in the season, man. Well, you never have just a huge number of them. The people that have problems are the people that aren't looking at their tomatoes, and that big old hornworm, you know, ate a whole tomato plant before they, they even noticed that it was out there. You and I look at our tomatoes on a daily basis, and we find those little boogers, you know, the day they show up or very shortly thereafter. So um, I, I bet you, golly, um, I can't remember ever having had more than eight or ten in a year, even when I didn't spray at all. Of course, I don't have 500 plants, but uh, that hand-picking. And the funny thing about the tomato worms, they almost glow in the dark. You go out at night with a black light and a black light flashlight or something and just shine it around, you'll see them glowing in the dark, and you go pick them off and get rid of them or feed them to the chickens or whatever you do with them. But uh, I, I just don't think tomato worms are that big a problem like say spinosad will get them if you spray directly on them, but hand picking works just as well. And if you are going to be, you know, away and need a long term control, little molasses along with your BT and spraying nothing but your tomato plants for me that gives season long control. Okay. Yeah, when I when I mix up my uh, spinosad, I mean spinosad, my has to grow. About how much molasses do I put in there, or, or is it advisable to put molasses in with the? Uh, there's there's uh, already there's already a bunch of molasses in there. I don't think you really need to add it. Uh, Stuart's already put a fair amount of molasses in the has to grow. Okay, and I'm trying to figure out the best advantage for me because eventually I've got to go back to work again. <laughs> well, again, I like the the uh, BT plus the molasses because I do it once a year. And or once a season, once spring, once fall, and uh, uh, I just like things I don't have to do over and over, and so that's that's my solution. You'll just have to figure out where's what works best for Don. Yeah, I guess I have to go down and see if Fred's got any then. I'll bet he does. All righty, thank you very much, Bob. You're welcome, Don. Thank you, sir. Teresa's next. Good morning, Teresa. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, sir. I am calling about, um, I bought some Scott, uh, it's a three-in-one. It's supposed to be kills the weed, prevents it from coming, and it feeds the grass. Um, and then, I'm it, according to the Home Depot, to spread it with a seed spreader. Um, my question to you is, do I need to mow my lawn and then spread it? And do I need to water it? Or how does that work? That's a toxic chemical that I don't recommend, and I really don't know anything about it, Teresa. This crud that you um, buy at Home Depot, uh, you've got a couple of poisons in there. You've probably got a couple of things that have been implicated in cancer-causing, and so it's not a product that I would ever recommend to you. So all I can do is tell you to follow the directions on the bag if that's what you, uh, and you know, if that's what you want to use. Uh, it's, it's your choice, but that's not how I go about doing things. And if it makes it sound, uh, you know, just too terribly easy, it's probably not going to work very well. So, uh, mm -hmm. lots of folks out there, you know, lots of folks out there buy poisons and spray them and spread them around, but I don't, and that's not what I'm about. Yeah, this is, it, it's got, and, um, oh my God, I paid pretty good money for it. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I'd, um, I'd, I'd take it back and, uh, and then we can talk about ways to solve different problems. But if it says caution or warning or danger or anything like that on the bag, and I'll bet you it's on there somewhere, it's not going on my garden, not going on my yard. I mean, 
Um, if I'm not worried about me sometimes, uh, I love my puppy dogs and other things. And these poor little guys aren't wearing shoes. They take that crud up through their feet and, you know, Dr. Kirby would be on here and who knows, we may be talking about cancer in pets, which, uh, um, has been tied to a lot of these different products. I don't know that one particular product, but, uh, anyway, if you decide to use it, follow the directions. If it were me, I'd take it back and I'd get something different. And I probably wouldn't get it from Home Depot because they don't carry much organic stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Well, we'll see. I'm glad um, glad you called me. Yes. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> You're welcome, Have Teresa. You too. Thank you. Ah, yeah. March against Monsanto's coming up again pretty soon too. You know, it's just you just don't have to use that crud, and there's just no doubt that it's dangerous or else they wouldn't have all the warnings on the labels so two ways to do it you can believe that the government protects you and you use that stuff or you can go organic and not have to worry about it and as you well know i choose organic we'll talk to brad and gina and then maybe one after that uh, good morning brad hey good morning i picked up your show on the way back from houston traveling from kerrville and i had a question i've got some nice st augustine grass but in the front the oak tree canopies uh, shaded out. Uh huh. Do you know anything about a St. Augustine grass? Yeah, a marishade is one of several. Uh, all St. Augustine grasses, with the exception of Floratam, are definitely a, our most shade tolerant grasses. I I like palmetto. I like Delmar. They're a semi dwarf grass, and I think they're a little easier to maintain. But if a marishade is uh, is you know what you have access to it is um it is one of the more shade tolerant ones now there is such a thing as an area that's too shady even for saint augustine to grow but uh if they're charging any extra for it i sure don't think it's any better than the older varieties delmar and palmetto but uh nothing wrong with it it's it's one of the uh one of the ones out there it's a little bit faster growing it will take a little bit more mowing but um it's it's a good choice for a shady area okay i'm looking to put some in i appreciate it well, it's my pleasure uh are you going to put down sod i presume which is you know just laying down the big pieces you can lay them solid in that yeah, area they got a they got sod trucks by the dozen in Houston. They come all over. Just put some fresh soil and sod over and get it done before it gets too warm. Well, it, if I would, if I were doing it, I'd probably put a little organic fertilizer down first. Do not put compost underneath new grass because compost generates a lot of carbon dioxide, which inhibits root growth. If you want to put your sod down, roll it, and then a little bit of compost on top of it is a real good program. And the other thing to remember is it cannot remain stacked. If, if that grass gets cut from the field one day, it needs to be planted the next day. If it sits around for 48 or 72 hours, the quality really starts going downhill on it. So be sure be sure it gets planted immediately. Be sure it gets yeah. rolled. And the rolling, of course, is not to level it. This is just sort of new sod 101 because I don't know how familiar you are with it. But uh, the rolling is not to level it, but it's to press the air pockets out underneath it and don't let anybody tell you it's not important i think it's the most important thing you do with planting new sods so uh good luck with it and you call me if you have any questions so I look forward I to helping you it. hey my, you. my pleasure thank you sir all right we're going to talk to gina and then virginia and uh gina is up next good morning gina uh good morning bob good morning um, you were you know, earlier you were talking about um um Mosquito repellents and um, something that maybe you can make yourself with garlic. Um, I was wondering, 
is there something that I can use to get to keep the flies off of the dogs? They start like biting their ears and just. You know, Dr. Kirby's already in the producer's room. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a note here to get him to talk a little bit more about biting flies. Uh, Is this a puppy or is this a mature dog? Uh, um, They're mature dogs. Okay. I'm going to tell you he, maybe Dan will look in here at me and tell me if I'm telling you right, that you can get a little bit of Ovatrol and rub on the dog's ears to discourage the flies. And, And where do you get that? Hang on just a second. Uh, yeah, your, your vet will have something called Obitrol, and you would get this from your vet, and uh, you just kind of rub it on the dog's ears. He was telling me they used to. We'll have him on the air here in about another eight minutes, and we can talk about it a little bit more. But he said they used to make a product called Flies Away too that you could. Now, I will tell you, spraying the environment where the dogs are with uh, Spinosad. Spinosad is a wonderful fly killer. And uh, I would not put it directly on the dog, although we, we give it, it's safe. We give it to dogs in an oral form for flea control uh, under the name of, uh, oh, just one second, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, um, but it, anyway, the Spinosad is a very, very safe product. We, we give to dogs in the form of Comfortis. But to spray around the yard, um, you can spray it around, and it will greatly limit the number of flies that you have in the area. But uh, on the dog's ears and places like that, ask your vet about this uh, this product that he or she has called Ovatrol. You just put a little of that on your fingers and rub it on the puppy's ears. Okay, but um, but you don't have like a formula like with garlic mixed with something that I can make myself. Well, just garlic garlic is is good as a repellent, and you can certainly spray it around the yard. But uh, um, flies are just flies are tough. There are lots of them there. Let me let me do this. Uh, Kareem, are you in there? Um, punch the button right here. Hang on just a second. Thank you. Okay, right. now we've got Dr. Kirby there. on the air. Right. So I don't have my <laughs> I don't have my headphones on, but okay. But two things: one, Ovatrol. If you just take a little bit on your fingers and rub it on the ears around the, that'll keep them off the ears because fly bite dermatitis is really common this time of year. Mm-hmm. The second thing you okay. can they say is apple cider vinegar, like in water. If they'll if you get it in a dilute enough water, sometimes it helps, and you can even make it in a dilute spray and spray it on the dog. Skin soft, Avon Skin So Soft supposedly is somewhat repellent to sand flies and things like that. Mm-hmm. Whether it works or not, I'm not sure about that one. But but I know that when we have problems with dogs, if we take a little bit of that uh, Ovatrol and we put it on our fingers and and Ovatrol, you know, Adam, they used to make an Adam spray Ovatrol. There's probably others that are just kind of a light permethrin it's very safe but uh-huh. you you still just take a little bit and you put it around the ears and you don't have to overdo it and that's great right. for great for your puppies but of the of the things that you're you know making if you want to do something natural apple cider apple cider vinegar is just <laughs> incredibly uh incredibly good for a lot of different things okay it's a 50 50 mix oh probably yeah. more like uh 10 to 1 water to apple cider vinegar oh okay okay Thank you very much. You are sure welcome, and keep listening. I'll tell the station they have to pay Dr. Kirby extra. Oh, that's right. They don't pay him anything anyway. <laughs> anyway, I uh, always appreciate Dan coming in, but uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that on the Pet Show in just a little while. And uh, in the meantime, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, we'll finish up uh, calls on the Pet Show and then get ready to move I'm on the Garden Show and then get ready to move on to pets after we talk to Virginia. Good morning, Virginia. 
Yes, uh, I have something eating baby collar plants, and I don't see any worms or anything. And another thing I wanted to know, this is probably a lot more like Dr. Kirby, uh, how do you keep ticks off of cows and how to keep algae out of aquariums and hydroponics? <laughs> Lots of different topics there. Let's take them one at a time. Um, your right. collards that are, that are getting eaten, are you getting holes in the leaves or are you getting whole plants eaten? Are you getting the stems eaten? Getting, getting leaves eaten off, holes in the leaves, and then they're gone. Okay. It probably is a caterpillar that comes out at night. Uh, this big old thing called a woolly bear. It's kind of a very hairy black caterpillar. It has orange rings around it. And I don't know how they hide out during the day because you never see them during the day, but they come out at night and they will eat a leaf at a time. You can put a little dipel dust or you can put a little bit of uh, BT with a little bit of molasses sprayed on the foliage. And that will certainly keep those guys under control. Now, algae control, um, hydrogen peroxide is one of the safe things you can use in a fish pond. Um, If we get into really big ponds in the middle of the winter, we actually use cornmeal to control algae. We don't do it in the summer because anytime you've got a lot of algae dying, that depletes the oxygen in the water, which, of course, can uh, be very bad for your fish. But in the winter months, and I think the rate, if I remember right, is about 200 pounds per surface acre of water. That will go a long way toward controlling a lot of your different algaes out there. But just in a small aquarium or fish pond, a uh, little bit. And go to Howard Garrett's website, which is dirtdoctor.com. He'll have all the formulas and everything in there for you to use hydrogen peroxide so that it's safe for the fish. But it is a very, very good algae controller um, as well. In fact, it takes care of some other problems, too. As far as ticks on cattle, um, that's, uh, that is a harder one. I know they do have some toxic stuff that they, uh, you know, that the feed stores will have that they put in like a sack and they string it up. The cows walk underneath it. Uh, it gets on their back. That's probably a better question for a big animal vet. Um, I find that on my ranch, I don't limit the fire ants other than in my vegetable garden around my yard, and I don't have hardly any ticks anymore. It's very rare for me to find a tick tick anymore because the fire ants keep the ticks under control, and um, I can't say I've seen a tick on any of my cows, and I've looked at my cows pretty closely. It's been years since I've seen any tick issues. So in a lot of places, I tell people, just leave your fire ants alone. They're going to control the ticks for you. I know there are some toxic things that, uh, like I say, they put in uh, in like a bag or something, and then they just hang this out where the cows walk underneath it and it gets on their back. But uh, um, that's that that's something that I've never had to do. Okay. Thank you very much for your help. It's always a pleasure. And uh, one more lady, I'll wish a happy Mother's Day to Virginia. It's always nice to hear from you.